Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of April 16th, 2018. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The Michael Duke Show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. I join Michael on the show each Tuesday morning from 9.15 to 10 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about the three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud pages, and on my website at bgkeithley.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with these on these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. Will or won't the Alaska legislature pass SB 26, the bill which is the permanent PFD cut this session? Will they kick oil tax credits down the road through bonding? And during federal tax week, we, we take a look at the US budget situation. And now, let's join Michael. Brad Keithley joins us every week to discuss oil, gas, and the economic forecast of Alaska. It's the Michael Dukes Show. I was just working up ahead of steam there, Brad. I I just don't know. I was ready to just tear, rip and tear with somebody. I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I was watching you on on Facebook Live, and I didn't I didn't quite know if I should jump in, in the middle of this or just let you run. For oh a while man! Longer and then, uh... Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm just you know when I read that piece, and and I didn't even get to the rest of it, but that is uh, it's it's kind of spooky. I mean, here we've got um, you know here we've got a state that's supposed to provide for certain things. They can't even provide for basic public safety right now in the second largest community in the state. Uh, they're looking at things like this school dish. I mean, it's it, it's insane. It is crazy. What's going on right now? Well, it's um, we're we're down to the end of the session, and 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 the craziness sort of starts uh, starts magnifying itself as as we approach that. Yeah. Well, let's start off with what uh, what we're going to touch in today. And of course, we are coming down near the end of the session, which I guess surprised a lot of people. To me, it wasn't really a surprise because I know it's an election year and these people want to get out of there. They don't want a repeat of ne- of last year. So they're going to form some kind of consensus just to get out of there. Yeah. And the and the and the issue that uh, that they've got left the couple of, they've got a couple of issues left that I want to talk about. One is SB 26, which is you were you were describing how that's embedded in the school funding bill and, and how the Senate has tried to make school funding or at least a certain portion of school funding contingent on the passage of SB 26. And then the second thing is the oil tax credit uh, bill, sort of the never ending saga of oil tax credits. Both of those are yet to be resolved. Uh, both of those carry significant implications, not only for this year, uh, but on into the future, uh, which is what makes them so uh, important and, and, and interesting to me. Um, and, and neither one of them are resolved right now. They're both sort of they're, they're sport, both sort of uh, locked in the end game. And we watch this and we take a look at this and we see that uh, 
Of course, the POMV SB26 is specifically adapted to make a to to change the POMV to change to change the formula rather to a POMV formula. But the more important factor, and you and I have talked about that. I mean, eventually there has to be a POMV formula with the Hammond 50-50 plan. There has to be a percent of market value draw out of the system, and 50% would go to government, 50% to go to to uh, to the citizens through dividends. But the other part, the more insidious part, is the fact what is the percentage of the POMV? And secondly, uh, and my percentage is as far as share between the state and the people. And then the second part is that it caps it. It caps it going forward for the people, which is a very, very dangerous situation. Yeah, there's two SB26s out there right now. One is one is the Senate's original version that the Senate passed and sent over to the House. Then the House modified it and sent it back to the Senate and both of those sit in a conference committee. They've sat there since last year um, in the conference committee since last year. The conference committee has never met on them, uh, but it's sort of on a hair trigger, right? If they if they work out a deal, uh, then uh, then the conference committee could uh, quickly pass it out and it would go back out to both bodies. The two SB 26 is just to be clear. The Senate's original version was to cut the uh, was to adopt a POMV. Uh, at 5.25% uh, draw, uh, coming down to 5% after what would now be two years. It was three years originally. Um, and then uh, uh, cap the, uh, the, P, the, the, the PFD at 25% uh, of that draw. That was the Senate's original version. It went over to the House. The House modified it uh, uh, in two ways. One, they, they changed the POMV draw, uh, if I recall correctly, down to 475 um, and then they changed the, the PFD portion of it. They capped it at 33% of the overall draw as opposed to the 25%. Now, those may seem like they're different numbers, but they're only 8% apart, and they're both significantly less than, uh, than the 50% uh, contemplated by, by Governor Hammond. The House version also has a, another provision in its vi version of SB 26, and that is an income tax, a progressive income tax. Right. And the House's, ju and the House's justification for that is that, well, the, P the, the PFD cut is, is regressive. It's one way of, of raising uh, state revenues, but we need more state revenues on top of that uh, and we don't want to do something that is regressive, uh, additionally regressive. So we're going to use a progressive uh, tool uh, of of an income tax, a progressive income tax. The interesting thing about that is is the ones who pay the most under that combination is the middle income class. The uh, <laughs> as a as a percent of income, the even though it's a progressive income tax, because the PFD cuts affect the top 20% so little, uh, uh, the progressive income tax doesn't, doesn't make up for that. Uh, and at the other end, uh, at, the, at the low income level, because uh, even though the PFD cuts are high, they don't get touched by a progressive income tax. The one group that get hits, gets hit by both is the middle income class. They end up paying more as a percent of income uh, under, the, under the house approach than anybody else. It's just sort of a, sort of a strange way to do it. So you've got these two SB26s sitting in uh, the conference committee, and as you were outlining, the Senate tried is trying to force the House's hands uh, on adopting one or the other, 
uh, or or coming to coming to the table in the conference committee and, and resolving the issue uh, by tying uh, future funding of of the education budget, uh, the, the 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 forward funding for next year and in an increase uh, next year, tying that to reaching resolution on SB 26. It is uh, it is a way of trying to strong arm the House. Uh, uh, into coming to grips with with one version or another or another of SB 26, they're both bad, uh, but the Senate's trying to strong arm the House into into coming one way or the other, and that's going to be that sort of that sort of uh, uh, issue is going to is, is going to be very interesting as we come to the end game of uh, of the session. There's one other factor that goes into that, Michael. That's that's important to sort of pay attention to, and that's a date. May 9th. Keep, keep that date in mind as we as we go forward. Um, that's the date by which the legislature has to adjourn sine die in order for any referendum of what the legislature passes this session to be put to a vote this fall. If the Senate, if the if the if the legislature would drag past May 9th and adopt a version of SB 26. Uh, uh, in this legislature and is passed May 9th, then it can't go to referendum this year. Under the Constitution, they've run out of time. You can't go to referendum on it this year. The earliest you would get it to referendum is 2020. So you've got, you've got all this interplay going on about SB 26. Which SB 26? The Senate's e- effort to strong arm the House into, into coming to the conference committee on SB 26. And then you've got this date sitting in there. Um, uh, and 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 whether the legislature adjourns by that date or not, if they adopt a provision, a, a form of SB 26, which again is kind of insidious, and you got to wonder, uh, they want to get out of there to go do their thing, but do they want to get out of there bad enough not to lock it in place for two years and at least get, you know, because what they really want here is they want inertia, because if something happens and it starts, could there still be a push to make it happen after May the 9th? If that is the case, you know, could they do it? Do they dare do it on an election year? I mean, there's a lot of variables here, and I'm assuming that they must be all weighing their those same variables themselves. Yeah, if they're going to do SB 26, they're going to do it after May 9th. If if they're going to step up and and come to some resolution to either cut the PFD permanently uh, or add some taxes uh, in the form that the House has proposed, if they're going to do that, they're going to do it after May 9th. So, so what? What observers? Because they don't want to, They wouldn't want to go to referendum in, in in this election year. I mean, they're all up for election. So why right. would they want that? Right. So, so what observers are going to start are going to start watching is does it look like like one body or the other or both bodies are beginning to drag their feet uh, toward toward the May 9th date, and and are and and if they're doing that, they're looking like they're dragging their feet. Are they doing that to set up uh, uh, an agreement on SB 26 and reaching that agreement um, after May 9th? That, that's going to be the sort of the interesting, interesting byplay to, 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 to watch uh, as we get into this endgame. Brad Keithley is our guest. He is with the Alaskans for Sustainable Budget, uh, which is a group obviously dedicated to keeping us uh, you know, rolling in that direction. Uh, Brad, the whole question of uh, before we move off of this education thing, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on what I just said earlier, which is, I mean, we're continuing to throw more money at this problem and we continue to have 
you know, lower test scores. We're scraping the bottom. I mean, we're, we're all, consistently, we're down at the bottom of the pile. Yes, we have some logistical challenges. Yes, we have some geographic challenges. But we are spending more than almost anybody else in the nation. And we continue not just to be at the bottom, but to fall at this point. I mean, my question is, are we, I mean, is it is it insane to go back and recheck our system to see if what we're doing is even worth pursuing in the direction we're going now? No, no, it's not insane at all. We we need a top to bottom review of of how we're handling K through twelve, not only from a cost standpoint, but from a from a, a value proposition point. Are we getting value out of the system uh, that we've got in place? Uh, uh, Lynn Gaddis and Tammy Wilson tried to do that. Uh, that would have been uh, four years ago, maybe at the beginning of the legislature. Before this, they had an education task force. Um, and came up with some suggestions, to, to my recollection, none of which were adopted by the legislature, uh, to, to go in and look at uh, K through 12 and try to develop a better K through 12 system. And frankly, at the same time, be cost sensitive, recognizing that K through 12 is the largest expenditure in our budget, and digging back into you know whether there were more co- more cost efficient ways to do it. Um, we need we need that top to bottom look. This 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 uh, move that we're on now just to layer more spending on top of the existing system, without going in and looking at the system uh, as it exists and the system that we're laying layering more spending on top of. Um, I, I don't think I don't think anybody reasonably thinks is going to produce better results. It's going to produce it's going to produce more costly results because we're going to be spending more, but I don't think anybody reasonably thinks it's going to be producing better results. No one, to my knowledge, has defined a game plan for how we get to better results out of our out of our K through 12 system. That was essentially Tammy Wilson's point on the floor uh, when the House version of of this spending bill, the the K through 12 spending bill, came up. Uh, and the proposal for spending $100 more uh, per student uh, uh, in the BSA came up. Tammy said, look, she's not going to vote for it uh, until we go back in and look at the K-12 system uh, in its entirety and, and come to grips with both the quality uh, and the cost of the system. And, I, and I, whether we, we're not going to do it this year. I mean, there's not even a bill up to look at it this year. Um, but, but whether we do it next year, the year following, the year following that, or the year following that, we're going to have to look at the K through 12 system. We're going to have to come back in, come to grips with what we're doing, uh, and look at it from both a value proposition and a cost standpoint. And and I think that's that's the big thing here is nobody's been willing to actually look at this. I mean, we're looking at a a, a student base allocation formula that has literally remained nearly, except for one, I think one minor change in the past, nearly unchanged. Uh, for 20, 25 years. I mean, it's in, and it's, it's got a built-in cost, cost escalator. It's got all these things where it just keeps rolling on. And we've got to be able to look at these things every year and understand them and understand what's going on in the market and what's happening with, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, components of it going up, going down and to lock it in and just leave it there for 20 years with a built-in cost escalator is, is just asking for, well, what we have now, the largest component of our budget, $1.2 billion in education. Yeah. The last time last time the BSA was reset, uh, was looked at in any sort of depth, was 10 years ago in 2008. Uh, and the BSA was increased. Mike, Mike Hawker uh, on the House side led a, 
um, what I think I recall as being a a, a task force, uh, both body task force, uh, that looked into BSA into the into the BSA, and uh, and came up with some revisions to it. But you know, since that time, <clears throat> I mean, in 2008, we were rolling in cash, um, current cash. We weren't looking out for the future too well, but we were rolling in current cash, um, and 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 that was 10 years ago before. The, the technology change that we've seen sort of sweep over the education system uh, uh, came about. Right. And, and no one, I mean, other than the task force that Tammy and, and Lynn, Lynn Gaddis headed, uh, no one has really tried to go in and evaluate it. I mean, the, the individual school systems, ASD, MATSU, uh, uh, Fairbanks, North Star Borough, they, they've all uh, taken looks at their pieces of it, but nobody's gone in and said, hey, you know, we've got, have we got too many, uh, 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 school districts out there. Can we consolidate? Are there ways to use the new technology uh, in a way that could help us consolidate? I mean, people have talked about it, but nobody's looked at it in a systematic way and come up with legislation that that is that is in essence trying to trying to modernize the K through 12 system within the cost constraints that we've got to live in these days. But right. I mean, it hasn't can, happened. So, yeah. Can we pool insurances? Can we do all these other things? I mean, couldn't we, you know, there's been lots of discussions on that and it just seems like uh, any, everything's a non-starter. In fact, Lynn Gaddis is in the chat room right now and she says, anytime someone talks about this, you get accused of not liking kids or public education. I mean, it's like the, it's, it used to be what the PFD was, which was the third rail. Now it's like, don't touch education. Our children are our future. Well, yeah. And it's, and it's getting, it's gotten silly, right? I mean, so we passed, I mean, let, let's focus on this for a second. We've passed an increase in the BSA of $100 per student. And all of the, edu- uh, the the education legislators are saying, hooray, you know, we've got $100 more per student. But we've done it at the same time as we've taken $1,100 out of the PFD for those same students. Right. For each one. Yeah. So, for each one. Have a nice day. <laughs> so so we're, we're just doing silly things now. I mean, we're, we're sort of, we're sort of, Congratulating ourselves for putting more money to K through 12 at the same time we're undermining the the, the economics of, of those students when they go home. I, uh, is <laughs> we we have got to take a look at it. Lynn's right about looking at insurance. Uh, we need to look at the school districts again. This isn't. This is about delivering a improving the quality of what we're delivering the kids within the cost with within a cost constraint that we can that we can live with just you know throwing more dollars at it like this hundred dollar increase in the bsa or on the senate side this 30 million dollar you know one-time grant um uh to you know that's actually an increase but we're not going to say it's an increase um it's we're just we're just you know we're we're throwing good money after bad we need to go in and do a top to bottom look at it um Let's move on to uh, our second part. Uh, Elmer Bremer over at uh, the Alaska Journal had a uh, – he's got a piece talking about how we're coming to the end. We're, we're seeing it. And, again, to me that was no surprise simply because it's an election year. I figured that they would get done as quickly as they possibly could. Um, and, and I want you to talk about this article, but let me just – I'd like to preface it with this. I'm a little disappointed in El, uh, in Elmer's reporting on this because normally he's pretty concise and he he really gets in there but he kind of leaves it he starts off the article talking about you know the governor calling for mostly flat funding of 4.5 billion of UGF unrestricted general funds but then he never gets down into the weeds of 
what the actual output is. We had Senator Mike Schauer on yesterday, and he's talking about by the time a conference is all said and done, we could be over $600 million more in overall spend than last year. And yep. that's yep. insane. And and Bremer never gets he, he never gets into that. And and it, it, it I mean that's that's my one bitch with this article. So I'm sorry. Go ahead and, and hit what you're thinking. Well, so, so the, the the challenge with reporters, right, is they're trying to they're trying to condense and, and, and report on a lot, and they're heavily reliant on on the the news organ the, the, the news uh, uh, feeds that are coming out of the various pieces of the legislature. The problem here is that is is that the legislature is unified, frankly, on a bigger budget. I mean, the House is passed a bigger budget. The Senate, when you look at, at total general fund spending as opposed to just UGF, when you sort of look through the games that people play between DGF and UGF and just look at total general fund spending, the Senate's spending more yeah. uh, uh, than the House. And, and Senator Schauer is right. I mean, the Senate spent it in different places than the House. So if you if you say, okay, to get you on board, House, we're gonna we're gonna agree to some of your increases that we didn't like, but you're gonna have to agree to some of our increases that you didn't like. At the end of the day, uh, you end up with with more, even more overall spending coming out of the conference committee than passed out of out of out of either body. And we're on track to do that. Um, so it's uh, it, it's a little insane. But but you've got this situation where both the House and the Senate are aligned on having increased spending. So there's no one feeding Elwood uh, and other reporters, you know, well, they adopted spending that we don't like, and, and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have passed that spending, and, and we're not trying to increase it anyplace else. You're not getting that mix of, of messages in there. You're just getting one unified message. Yeah, I guess we got to spend more. So, so there's no one leading Elwood, and, and you know, you got to love reporters. It, they've got a limited amount of time. There's no one leading them down the discussion of of what's actually going on. That all of this is, is all of this is resulting in an increased spending product. And and we look at this and we understand now the Alaskan citizen is struggling. We're in you know the longest running recession in the history of this state. We got the highest unemployment rate. We got I mean just you could just check the mark the little boxes off as you go down. <laughs> And the legislature's like, "Yep, we got to spend more, baby, because that's how it works." And, and, and I mean, nobody's willing to give anybody the bad news that the buck has got to stop somewhere. Well, and and yeah, and the legislature, the legislators, and the governor. I mean, fr- frankly, Michael, this is this is the this is the level of ridiculousness that we have gotten to. The governor looks like the most conservative. If, if you just look at the number, the governor comes across as the most conservative of the of the three bodies of the of the administration, the uh, House, and the Senate. The governor's budget of, of of those three, the governor's budget was the lowest. Yeah, the House increased the House increased the governor, and the Senate increased uh, on the House. So it's um yeah, and, and 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 no one no one is delivering the news. Of we can't afford this. They're saying now essentially, well, we'll just cut the PFD and we'll fund it that way. And if you listen to people like Chris Birch, uh, who keeps saying, well, we'll just take more and more of the PFD. We're not going to go to taxes. We're just going to take more and more of the PFD. Um, there's no, I mean, they're not, they're not recognizing a stopping point out there. It used to be, we will spend the SBR down 
statutory budget reserve, but we won't spend much of the CBR, constitutional budget reserve. Right. Then we spent through the SBR and we got into the constitutional budget reserve. And then it was, well, we need to keep, you know, we need to keep drawing down the constitutional budget reserve. Well, we're now almost out of that. And now they've just tapped open. It's like a new kegger, right? I mean, they've just <laughs> tapped open a, a new keg. Yeah. It's the PFD. And now, now they're starting to spend out the PFD like it's a savings account. Right. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to hear the same thing. Oh, gosh, we wish we didn't have to spend more of that. We wish we didn't have to take more of that. But we do uh, because we got this new savings account, this new keg we've opened. And it's just it, – It's it, going to go it, stale if you, we don't drink it. It's going to go stale. We right. better get to exactly, it now. Exactly right. That may be a great analogy because there's <laughs> just all sorts of things you can build out of that. Yeah. But it's just – I mean – it's just it it's it, it just doesn't stop. No. Um, and as long as you as long as you keep this crowd in there, they're going to keep on going. How does it feel? We're talking, by the way, with Brad Keithley from Alaska's for a Sustainable Budget here on the Michael Duke Show. Brad, how does it feel to be prescient? I, I just want to know that because I'm reading this article and this leaped off the page at me, just left right up into my face, and it says the apparent agreement to flat fund the operating budget, which. Wow, your definition of flat funding is anyway to flat fund the operating budget is at four point five billion is somewhat of a surprise given it comes just a few weeks after the Senate passed a finance committee sponsored four point one billion dollar UGF spending cap. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean they just ignore it. They just they just completely ignore it. It yeah. If, if Kevin Meyer were on here, he would give you a twenty-minute answer that would that would, that Say would try to convince you that they're that they're not breaching the spending cap. Sure, sure. That, that somehow, somehow, even at four point five, they're staying within the spending cap. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And in fact, later on in the article, they mention uh, I think I can't remember who it was. It was his talk or somebody says, "Well, we just keep breaking statutes anyway, so maybe we should just you know not make new statutes, so we're not going to break them anyway." <laughs> Yeah, well, let, let's talk. Let's talk about the second big thing that 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 I, that is is concerning me as we come to the end of this session, uh, and that's the oil tax credit bond bill. Now, this is a proposal. It, you and I have talked about oil tax credits a lot on right. the, on the on the program over the months. It's a bill. Oil uh, tax credits are a program under which, uh, and this is since two thousand seven a program under which the state subsidized a portion of the drilling costs uh, of certain producers. The state committed to, 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 to chip in and, and, and subsidize a portion of the drilling costs under a statute as it was written in 2007. Now, the producers all started under that statute, and that statute provided that the state would make its payments uh, that it was obligated to make right. uh, under the statute as a percent of the state's revenue. So if uh, the state's production tax revenues. So if the production tax revenues stayed up because oil prices and production stayed up, then the state would pay a certain percentage. If if those revenues went down, uh, then the state would pay a lower percentage. That's what was in the statute from the beginning. The producers participated in the program under that statute. They knew that those were the statutory provisions. Um, and so at, when we hit the oil price decline in 2014, that percentage, the, the the obligations of the state to make payments went down. It stretched out the payments. The state didn't say, we're not going to pay a portion of your costs. It's just the timing when when we pay those costs 
under the statute will be stretched out because we don't, I mean, the state, the state doesn't have as much money. So the right. statute said, if the state doesn't have the money, doesn't have to pay them as quickly, it can pay them, pay them over time. That's what the statute said. That's what the producers drilled under. That's what the program was. Now we come to this year, we've, we've, we've had various permutations and, 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 and variations on, on this program, efforts to change the program. Now we come to this year, the producers continue to complain, oh, we're not getting our money as fast as we hoped we would. Um, so we want all of our money now uh, instead of it being paid out over time. And so this, the proposal this year is for the state to go out and issue a bunch of bonds, debt of the state, collect a bunch of money from, from, from banks and third parties through through the issuance of these bonds and then pay that money over to the producers in one lump sum to to pay off to pay off these debts that are otherwise supposed to be paid off in time the problem with that is that it uh it by accelerating those payments by by converting them over to bonds the state is the one that come that, that becomes at risk for the cost of of capital over time uh by 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 doing them in bonds the state exposes itself to the risk uh, that it will pay out more money uh, or, or have to pay out more money through the bonds than it otherwise would pay to the producers if it just adhered to the statute. But the bigger part of that, of the problem to me, uh, of these bonds is you're kicking the can down the road. Right. The state can say, the state can say, well, we're paying, we're paying to the bondholders. You know, the bonds are, are sort of, are, are structured so that they, you know, ramp up toward the end. So we're paying much less this year. Our budget looks a lot better this year. The, the subtext of that is we got more money to spend on other things, uh, <laughs> but we're paying less this year. But, but what you've really got to look at is what that does to you over a 10-year term, right? Uh, and, and, and what you're going to be doing over that 10-year term. And, and the two things are going to happen is, one, you're going to end up paying more. But the second is you're going to pay it in the back years. You're going to pay more in 2025, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30 um, as a result of putting off the payments that should be made now. The program, as it's structured right now, would run out. We'd make our final payments around 2027. As restructured, now we make them in 2031, I think, is what the, is what the program is. And we're kicking these bigger payments down, down to the end of the road. That to me is a big problem for one reason in particular. That's the same time frame when our PERS and TERS obligations, the state's PERS right. and TERS obligation, our retirement funding obligations are kicking up. So now we've kicked the can down the road in two major areas. One is oil tax credits. The second is PERS and TERS. We get down to that later period and combine they're nearly 10% of, of, of the total budget by the time we get down there. Right. If we, if we, do the statute, we do the, the statute as we're supposed to do it, we get those oil and gas tax credits paid off by 2027. PERS and TERS start ramps up, ramps up about that time. And we and we sort of are able to handle it once we get out into the late 20s, um, out in, into the late 20 timeframe, which is only 10 years from now. Um, but if we, if we go down the road with these bonds, we're just gonna double up on bad uh, in the late 20s by having both these bond payments and PERS and TERS ramping up on us and you think we got fiscal problems now uh you know what are we doing to those people uh in the in in the second in the second half of the of the 2020 uh decade we're just leaving them with one stinking mess so th this this is an issue how we resolve these oil tax credit bombs uh, bonds bombs is is an <laughs> issue is an issue um uh that does it not only affects this year 
but it affects where we go 10 years from now or where, we, where we're going within the next decade. And that's a big issue, and it's a big issue we ought to be talking about, and yet nobody is. Right. Right. Well, I think Brian in the chat room just said maybe kicking the can down the road will now replace North to the future is the state motto, because it seems like <laughs> it seems like that's where we're going. Now, here's my question, because I, I know that, you know, you said something, I think it was last week uh, that really kind of got my attention where you said you, you'll notice that none of the none of the oil companies, although their mouthpieces and their trade industries and everything else are out there saying you owe us, you owe us, you owe us, all based on a cartoon at some trade show um you'll notice that nobody is suing anybody and that's because they read the statute they understand the statute but now what you've got is two bodies the house and the senate uh and actually the senate and the governor are together on this who are interpreting it one way and the house is going to interpret another way and kawasaki is being quoted as get five lawyers in a room and everybody will have an opinion but i think if if you change it if you try to leave it at the house version right now you're going to you're going to lead to you're going to have some issues because of the I think everybody's reading it pretty much the same way. So what is is it that that's pushing them to bond this whole amount? Is it I mean what's the reason why they're pushing to get bonded indebtedness to pay it off instead of just adhering to the statute as it sits uh you know as it sits right now what's causing them to push down in that direction? Because the producers that were that were involved in this program want their money now. Back back when they made back when they made started this program in 2007 2008, nobody thought oil prices would decline. Right, everybody thought oil prices. This is that was the era where we were at, you know, starting in ninety hundred dollars, you know, starting to ramp up toward the hundred and forty dollars that we hit in 2013 or 2012 or whatever time frame that was. We were start we were starting that rise, and everybody said, oh, oil prices are always going to go up. I remember. Lyman Hoffman, Senator Lyman Hoffman, getting on the Senate floor at one point saying, oil's going to be $200 by 2020. <laughs> um, and, and, and so everybody thought oil prices were always going to go up. And so the producers said, well, this, you know, we don't need to worry about this, this part of the statute that says they'll pay as a percent of revenues because they'll always have the revenues um, and uh, high revenues and we'll always get you know, reimbursed as we go and, and everything will be fine. When we got to 2014, and, and oil prices declined and the statutes kicked in, the producers all of a sudden realized they had made a wrong bet, that oil prices could decline and the repayment schedule specified in the statute could stretch out. But rather than suck it up and live with that bet, uh, a bet they made when they, when they participated in this program, nobody forced them to take these credits, right? Nobody forced them to agree to the subsidies. They went down, they, they positively agreed to to, to, to these subsidies, when they realized they were on the wrong side of the bet that they'd gotten into this program on the wrong side of the bet, then they wanted to change the bet. Right. They wanted to say, well, yeah, yeah, I know we were supposed to accept these, accept this risk, but we want to push it off on, on the state. And so this, this whole, this whole uh, enterprise of trying to find a way to pay off the producers early. And now we've, we've kind of this bond proposal of uh, trying to find a way to pay off the producers early is being driven by the producers complaining that they, you know, they want they want a way they want to change the nature of their bet, uh, and the state for some I I still don't understand why the Walker administration is doing it. I mean, I sort of understand the Senate because that's sort of the core of their donor base, right? The oil service companies and and 
and and to some degree these producers. But I I still don't understand why the Walker administration is proposing this bond proposal. It's just, I mean, it's insane. Cost the state more, kicks the can down the road into a period when we're already going to be uh, spending challenged uh, as a result of PERS and TERS and other things. It's just, it's it's an insane program. But it's being driven by the producers who want their money now. Right. Well, so what So what happens from here? What happens now that, I mean, they're talking about it, and you and I can suss out all the evils of what's coming, but are they actually going to go there, do you think? Or, what, I mean, what's the what's the plan at this point? Well, there's, a, there's, there's heavy pressure to do it. Uh, the Senate, uh, I think, has already approved the bill. It's over in the House. Uh, it's been heard before House Resources. Uh, I think it got out of House Resources, and I think it's in uh, – in house finance, um, there's there's been no significant changes to it. It's sort of a, a sort of a do or die uh, on the on the house side of whether they uh, agree to it or not. Um, and you know, one would hope that they're going to see this for the see the problem that they're creating down the road. The the the, the risk, Michael, uh, in all honesty, is everybody says. I mean, we've got this dispute sort of the silly dispute going on about how you interpret the statute and whether we owe them $40 million this year or $180 million this year. The statute, the way it's always been interpreted is that we owe them $180 million. The risk is that everybody says, oh, we can issue these bonds, and then we only have to pay $25 million this year because that'll that'll only be the price of the bonds, and we'll make the producers happy uh, uh, by giving them all this money, and we only have to account $25 million toward the toward the current uh, – toward the current budget. And yeah, you know, that's somebody else's problem five and 10 years down the road. The risk is they really do kick the can down the road and agree to, to go to these bonds as a way of artificially reducing uh, current budget levels, but at, at, and without regard to what it's doing long-term. Yep. Well, but this is the political theory that we're getting. The final piece of this is example of the Senate cutting $70 million from Medicaid funding, uh, which is what they did last year, which then because then they could claim the victory in their press release to the reporters, as you were saying earlier, that said, we cut $70 million from Medicaid. And, of course, the first thing they do with the start of this session is to then get a supplemental bill for 90 something million dollars to pay for the cut that they made last year because it's all required. I mean, this is all political theater. It's one hand washing the other. And, and it's really bad. I mean, it's, I mean, let's get right down to it. There's a reason that the statutes – require that the governor give a 10-year forecast at the time that he proposes his budget. That's because the expectation is the legislature will look not only out for what it's doing in the current year, but also what it's doing to Alaskans in future years. There will be a little bit of planning uh, going on in this. But in the case of Medicaid, you're exactly right. They just underfunded the damn thing, knowing that Knowing that it would, you know, pop up in the next year, but hey, we wouldn't have to worry about it this year. Oil tax, oil tax uh, uh, bonds are exactly the same thing. It's right. a way of underfunding it this year uh, and pushing pushing the, the the problem down the road. So we're, we we don't ha- we we have a legislature that is that is not operating on all cylinders for a lot of reasons, uh, but one of them they're they're not really caring about what goes on in the future either, and they're just kicking these cans in a way that, as I said, if we think we've got it bad now, uh, in the latter half of the 2020 decade, they're just kicking it all there. It's like 
you know, you're going to open up the budget in 2025 and you're going to find this toxic waste dump right. that, uh, that, you know, they kicked all of the, kicked all of this spending into. And, uh, you know, and, and maybe the bet is that all of their pensions will have vested by then and they'll, they'll have been retired. The current legislatures will be re- retired, uh, you know, somewhere out of state and won't have to, won't have to deal with it, but it's a, it's a serious problem. They're not looking down the road and oil tax credits, the oil, these oil tax credit bonds is is a great place uh, of focusing on uh, on whether they try to do that yet again in another area. Brad Keithley is our guest. He's with Alaskans for a Sustainable Budget. We're talking about the final days of the legislature. Uh, Brad, I would only say that this is all monkey see, monkey do. And what I mean by that is I've been talking about how what we're seeing in Alaska is just a microcosm of the attitude and the habits uh, of what's happening at the national level, the national stage. Uh, I mean, we have the same kind of problem in our Congress as we do in our state legislatures where they just cannot say no. If there's a program, they want to fund it. If there's something that they want to do, they're going to do it, regardless of whether there's money or not. And we'll do things to shift stuff around so that we can write the press release to give ourselves a pat on the back, but does it really make any difference in the in the end? Because it's all got to stop sometime and the music is going to stop. And what it does, we hope you have a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly right. It, it, you and I talk on this program, uh, usually normally about state stuff. And that's a lot of where Alaska right. for sustainable budgets focus their effort. But we also work uh, sort of in our, in our part-time job, we also work closely with uh, uh, the committee for a responsible federal budget uh, which is is one of the uh, budget watchdogs in D.C. that looks at the federal budget, and they've been doing some work uh, in the last three months. It's just it's just very eye opening. They've been analyzing the the effects of of the tax tax cut uh, last fall that Congress passed, and then the spending bill uh, that uh, the Congress uh, uh, passed uh, earlier earlier this year. Um, the Alaska delegation. Uniform, uni- universally, all three of them voted for the tax cut bill. Two of the three uh, uh, voted for the spending bill, um, and, and you and you can look at the consequence of that, and it's just sort of it's just sort of staggering. I mean, in terms of in terms of giving goodies to to constituents, what seem like goodies for constituents, but just you know come back to haunt you and haunt back haunt the future uh, in spades. The they published a piece uh, yesterday. Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, uh, and anybody who's interested in federal budget matters uh, would 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 be highly uh, interested, I think, in going to the CRFB uh, website and just sort of looking at some of the stuff they've got there. But they published a study yesterday that analyzed the FY 2019 budget, uh, deficit, this coming year's fiscal uh, federal fiscal year uh, deficit. Absent things that Congress has done just in the last two Congresses, just in the last three years, absent things that Congress that Congress has done in these last two Congresses, we would have this coming year a four hundred and forty billion dollar deficit, fiscal year deficit. Right. That would be that would be the lowest we've had since two thousand eight, since the since the Great Recession of two thousand eight, and 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 a significant time before that. That would start getting you back to the era. Uh, closer to the era where we actually had budget surpluses, we started paying down uh, the, the national deficit from '92 to 2001, and and a 440 billion dollar budget seems like a big number, but from a from a 
federal standpoint, from a national standpoint, it actually would have would be a very good number. Uh, and that's what we were on track to do for this fiscal year before the last two Congresses got into the act. And in the last two Congresses, this just sta- this is just staggering to me, Michael. The last two Congresses have passed bills. The tax cut uh, and the spending bills they've passed have blown that budget deficit, the FY2019 budget deficit, from $440 billion to $980 billion, nearly a trillion-dollar deficit that we're going to be running this fiscal year, just as a result, more than doubled it, just as a result of what Congress has done these last two years. They were under a statute. I mean, this sort of goes back to the, you know, the, the Alaska Senate arguing, well, we're going to pass this this budget cap or the spending cap statute. Congress was under a statute that said, if you're going to increase the deficit, if a bill you pass is going to increase the deficit, you need to adopt what are called pay-fors, pay-for, that, that would pay for uh, that increase. In other words, so we don't grow the deficit. Uh, you've got to come up with either revenue enhancements or spending cuts elsewhere uh, in order to offset in order to offset those those budget increase or those deficit increasing acts. In the last two Congresses alone, the tax bill, the the 2018 budget agreement, and some uh, extenders that were passed in 2015, some tax cut extenders that were passed in 2015, they waived that statute in those steps uh, in those in those pieces of legislation, waived it to the extent now if they increase the budget by $540 billion over the $440 billion it was going to be at before. In other words, getting us to a trillion-dollar deficit. So you're exactly right. This sort of behavior we're seeing going on uh, in, 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 in Alaska is, is in a microsm what's going on at a national level as well. And it's, and it's something, <clears throat> something important to talk about. On tax day, Dan Sullivan's got an editorial today in the Anchorage Daily News where he's saying, oh, look at this tax cut. You know, it's a great thing, and, 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 and we all will enjoy it uh, on this tax day. Well, yeah, that's the, we'll enjoy it this tax day. But guess what? In about five years, us, our children, our grandchildren will begin to have to pay for it plus interest right. in the meantime uh, to, to start getting this deficit under control. Uh, we can't have deficits that, you know, national debt that runs forever. We've got to get them under control at certain points. And and yes, we're yes, Dan, thank you very much. We're going to have this great, we're going to have this great celebration today. But it's just digging the hole deeper, more than double the national debt this year alone, digging the hole deeper that we're going to have to dig out, out in the future. We're just we're not being responsible at the federal level. And you're exactly right. It's translating to not being responsible at the state level as well. Brad Keithley is our guest. Uh, Brad, I, I just was watching a piece on Saturday with Justin Amash. He was speaking before the folks at Reason, um, and he was talking about this has emboldened them that you know because and Nick Gillespie from uh, Reason Magazine asked him, "Well, so are we going to see these you know trillion dollar deficits per year coming back?" And he goes, "Oh no, no." You're going to see $2 trillion per year deficits coming back that's already on the table for what they're talking about and some of the plans and some of the bills that they're trying to move forward now. This, I mean, it doesn't stop. Once they do it, they're emboldened. They've broken the seal on it. They're just like they're just going to move forward. And it, it, it can't continue. It's simple math. 
You cannot continue forever into the future, and nobody's willing to tell all the kids in the room that the toys have got to be picked up and put away. Michael, the, one of the, one of the numbers that just staggers me again. This comes from the Committee for the Responsible Federal Budget, but they're basing it on they're basing it on analyses done from the Congressional Budget Office from Congress itself. One of the numbers that just staggers me is within ten years, the cost of interest, the 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 the, the spending at the federal level, the spending we're going to have to do for interest on our debt alone, just interest, and this is dead money, right? Money that's, that's just paying off bondholders, money that, that a large portion of which is going to China, which is a large portion of, of where our debt's held these days. Spending on interest alone, focus on this for a second, is going to is going to be greater than either domestic spending or military spending. Spending on interest alone will be the biggest part of the federal budget. Just the debt service. That's just the debt service. That's yep. dead money. That's not that's not money that's paying for anything. That's just paying off stuff that we're doing right now, tax cuts that we're giving ourselves right now, increased spending that we're giving ourselves right now. Just paying that off, just the interest, just the interest on that is going to be bigger than both domestic spending and military spending. When you divide the budget that way, it will be the largest category of spending. And this is within 10 years. So it's it, it is it is staggering what we're doing to ourselves. You know, we get to that point, and and we get to that point where interest is that large, and we're and we're scratching our heads at that point. Okay, we're going to have to either greatly expand taxes, right, to pay this stuff off, if we want to keep spending on domestic programs on, and spending on uh, military programs going. We're either going to have to increase taxes by a huge amount, or we're going to have to start cutting military spending and domestic spending. To just just to make room for interest, not to produce things that that benefit then Americans, just to pay off the interest, to pay off the debt run up by the right by the by the past Americans. Um, that that's where we're heading, and 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 Justin's right. Um, you can easily see if interest rates go up, which they're likely to do as a result of all of this deficit spending that we're building. If interest rates go up, uh, and if we don't, I mean the. The, the trillion dollar estimate of of, of of these debts that we're going to run through the end of the decade, the trillion dollar estimate is based upon not extending the the cuts that are in the tax bill um, and and not extending uh, this additional spending that we just passed. If we extend either of those, Justin's right, and in particular if we extend both, Justin's right. We have two plus trillion dollar uh, deficits within ten years. Uh, and we have um, the interest not only just being bigger than military, either military or domestic, we have it being significantly bigger than military or, or domestic spending. I, we're, 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 we're just like we're doing in Alaska, particularly with talk about the oil, these oil tax credit bonds and, and, uh, and with PERS and TERS, just like we're doing in Alaska by kicking the can down the road, you know, make current Alaskans better than better off now and at the expense of future Alaskans we're doing it in spades at the federal level and it's a uh, it's uh, and, and 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 you know to be very focused our three legislators our three national legislators Sullivan Murkowski and Young are playing a big role in that yeah they all voted for the tax cuts two of the three of them voted for the spending uh, they all voted for the 25 2015 spending they're playing a big role in that we could help Alaska could help 
curb this. If our if our congressional delegation was very active in curbing it, they've not been. So you know, we've got a role to play here in Alaska to get our congressional delegation to start recognizing that and start pulling it back. It's not just everybody else that's doing it. Our guys play a play a major role in this, and we need to we need to work on them to for them to help pull it back. Well, and the average citizen, Brad, is really not paying attention. I mean, the day, the week that we tripped over twenty-one trillion dollars, that Wednesday or Thursday, we put nine, we bar, put ninety-seven billion, ninety-seven billion dollars on the deficit in one day, and then the following week, after we tripped over twenty-one trillion, that week we borrowed another. $300 billion. It's a third of a trillion dollars on top of the 21 that we just tripped over. And it barely even made a blip in the news cycle. Nobody really knows. I talked to somebody the other day that's like, well, you know, it won't really matter. We're going to do it. We're America. We can, you know, we can make these things, do, you know, people will pull it and they'll stop. The politicians will. And I'm like, what? I mean, too big to fail? I mean, we, what do you, it's math. Again, it's math. You cannot continue to spend more than you take in forever and expect it not to have an effect. Yep. Yeah, this is going to be, this is going to hit as an issue uh, as we approach the 2020 election at the, at the national levels. Dan Sullivan comes up for re-election. This is going to, this is going to be a big issue. And, and the question that I'm going to be having over the next two years is Dan Sullivan part of the solution or is he part of the problem? Right now, right now, he's on, he's more on the problem side than he's on the solution side, um, and 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 it needs to be an issue that he personally gets involved in, and and address, or else I think it's going to be an issue in his reelection campaign. Yeah, well, it's got to happen on all levels, national, state. I mean, we're not the only state. 27 states are running massive deficits in this country right now. This is a nationwide problem. And unless we address it and look ourselves in the mirror, give us a good hard look and tell ourselves we can't afford what we're doing, this is going to be – this could be catastrophic. I mean, really, it could be catastrophic. Well, yeah, think about it. Interest, interest, payment, payments for interest larger than either the military budget or the domestic budget dead money i mean i just I, that's staggering to me yeah staggering about about the implications of where we're heading so yeah absolutely we either get it under go ahead either get it under control or we, or we dig it either we either get it under control or we dig a much deeper hole well, I mean, I hope people are listening, Brad. I hope people are paying attention. I know, I mean, I'm feeling frustration like I've never felt. In, I've, I've, been, I've been beating this drum for 15 years, and I'm feeling frustration like I've never felt before because it seems like, you know, like I said, nobody is paying attention. Nobody says, well, you know, it, it'll just, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Uh, just shrug it off. Rub some dirt on it and walk it off. You don't walk this off. You just do not walk off that kind of money at a state level, at a national level, or anything else. People have got to start to realize we can't be all things to all people. I hope that they, I hope that they listen. If folks want to find out more, Brad, what do they do? Uh, the best way anymore is to go to the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page. Uh, we we write a lot of blogs. We we do some podcasts. Uh, they're all centralized there. They all pop up there. So Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, Facebook page is the, is the best single source. Brad Keithley, thank you so much for taking time today. I know we've ran a little long, but it was really, like I said, this is one of my favorite shows. May not be everybody else's, but I like getting down in the weeds on this stuff. Thanks so much for coming on board and talking with us today. We really appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. The Michael Duke Show, your hope for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube and SoundCloud pages and keep track of us during the week on our Facebook and Twitter pages. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week 